you glad we watched the OC where Monte Carlo night, Las Vegas night, and Casino night are the exact same fucking thing. <laughs> I'm Sarah, and this is Evan, who owns the exact right amount of wife beaters and leather chokers. That amount is zero. <laughs> We're going to open this episode a little bit differently today. Evan, if you would, please recap the sequence of events that happened in this the third episode of the OC entitled The Gamble, as best you remember them. Okay. Uh, thanks to uh, listener, f- friend of the pod, Steve, for the feedback on episodes one and two that we need a recap for people who haven't necessarily uh, religiously watched the OC. Um, but also, what are you doing listening to this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, you know, I mean, whatever. Okay. So... In the interim, since we watched episode three, we both got COVID. Uh, Which is why we sound so good. We sound amazing. Uh, so it's been a little while, so this is the recap. Okay. Keep your masks on. Yeah. It's not pleasant out there. Keep your masks on. Okay, so Luke and Ryan had both been taken into custody. So at the beginning of the episode, we open in said custody. Uh, Ryan is being bullied by Angel from Veronica Mars. Weevil. Sorry, shit, Weevil. (laughs) God, I'm so bad at this! From Veronica Mars. Luke, on the other hand, uh, because he has no priors, uh, Sandy says, uh, he's being released immediately into the custody of his family. Because they cannot find Ryan's parents or guardians... He is being kept in uh, custody uh, and just, again, bullied uh, viciously by Weevil, uh, who I feel is pretty typecast in this role. But anyway, Sandy meets with Ryan and is like, sorry, no one wants to claim you, so you're stuck here, (laughs) right? In the universe of this show, Weevil could have cleaned up his act and gotten to Neptune because Neptune is also in California. Very true. Very true. Very true. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So, crossover. So, um, at one point, Seth wants to visit Ryan. Am I jumping ahead too much? Yeah, some stuff happens before that. Shit. Um, what happens before that? <laughs> Help me. So, he is at the house, but again... He um, is told that he is not... No, 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 no. No, no. this is before... No, yeah. That's what I was going to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Right? Go ahead. Because what's Seth's mom's name again? Kirsten. Okay. So Kirsten's like, why are you all mopey, Seth? And Seth's like, because Ryan didn't mean to set the house on fire. It was an accident. I thought having him live there was a good idea because I'm Seth. (laughs) Uh, and Kirsten's like, he burnt the house down, and Seth's like, not on purpose, and Seth is like, I'm gonna go, oh, that's right, because Seth is grounded. Uh-huh. Uh, and even though he's grounded, he's gonna sneak out, um, and he's gonna go visit Ryan, right? Yes. Am I missing things before that? No, you're, the, it's building up to the meeting of the moms, remember? All yes, the, yes, yep. yes, 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 okay. And that's when... So, uh, Seth is like, I'm gonna go visit Ryan, and you're gonna come with me, Mom. And Kirsten is like, okay, I guess we'll go. And then they go into the system, and they have a brief meeting with Ryan, who's like, yeah, I guess it sucks here, but whatever, this is the life I expected. Thanks for all the help. I'm not expecting anything else from you. Right? And Weevil, of course, happens to be in the room at the time, and starts hitting on Kristen... Kirsten. And no one cares. This is Sweden Erasure. <laughs> I have two interjections. Interject. Real quick. Number one. How realistic do you think it is that uh, Kirsten's company just magically dropped all of the charges oh. against <laughs> Luke and Ryan? 
Well, I mean, it's awfully convenient for the plot, uh, you know, of course. But yeah, no, you know, in the real world, Ryan would be so screwed. He would be super boned. He'd have no future to speak of. Luke would be fine. Luke would be a senator later. Uh, all this would be swept under the rug and it would never be brought up again for Luke. But yeah, no, Ryan would be boned magnificently in the real world. I mean, he's still white and attractive, so he wouldn't be, like, as boned. Yeah, no, they'd somehow manage to pin it on Weevil. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Next interjection. Sorry, just Do real, it. real fast. Um, This also ties in. Um, Sandy has been married to Kirsten for, we want to say, at least as long as Seth has been alive. So do you think it is realistic? Because they're trying to also paint her... They have alluded to this in former prior episodes. She used to be this do-gooder. She was starry-eyed. She is it fair to say that this is her first exposure to the penal system? Like, why is she so shocked oh, by yeah. these conditions? Oh yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't she have been at least on the receiving end of a recounting of Sandy's day or something? I think at, at at most, yeah, she gets some exposure to the, you know, the quote-unquote criminal justice system, right, uh, through Sandy, probably in, The you know, criminal, air quotes, justice system, am I right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, through, you know, probably- That was terrible, and I apologize. <laughs> probably through Sandy winding down at the end of the day, you know, she's probably like- how many stray kids did you help today, husband? And Sandy's probably like, oh, these kids, they gotta have a plan, you know? <laughs> and she's like, great, let's go swimming in the golf pool. And then they do that. Um, so, yes, it's made pretty clear when they go visit that this is absolutely Kirsten's first exposure to probably the real world in any way at all, because... Well, gosh, if we think about it, we've opened two episodes in a row now being uh, sort of given a glimpse into Kirsten's world. Uh, episode two, she's got an enormous model of the model home in their kitchen, and she's kind of obsessing about that, and she's obsessing about the contractors and how they're not working on the home. And like she's floofing about doing her lady career thing. Exactly, right? And in this world, you know, it's all it's all stuff that she's concerned about, but in comparison to things that Ryan is concerned about, it just shows how to to kind of reiterate what Ryan said to Marissa in episode 2, we're from two different worlds, right? So in episode two, we're uh, introduced to Kirsten and her concerns with the model home. In episode three, we are introduced to Kirsten and is it Julie? Yeah. And their concerns with <laughs> what will be the focal point of conflict in this episode, which we'll get to, is Monte Carlo night, right? Or Vegas night or whatever. <laughs> or fucking casino I night or whatever. It's the same goddamn thing. Yeah. They just end up with uh, casino night, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's really the only thing that she's concerned with at the beginning of this episode is this fundraiser that they do every year. The reason I just remembered this, it's been, again, we have COVID fog brain and as such, we haven't recorded between, um, viewing the episode as quickly as we normally do. I'm sure we will get comments in the... <laughs> I don't know, somewhere about it. Um, the reason that Ryan can't leave jail is because he can't be released to anyone but a blood relative. That's Yeah, that's what I said in the beginning. It is? Yeah. Cool. I listened to you. So, <laughs> no, this is a perfect segue because Kirsten, as a mother character, is painted in a very positive light, right? Uh, she and Seth go and visit Ryan. Uh, Weevil starts hitting on her. Uh, Ryan immediately, again, throws a punch in the protection of a Cohen. A Cohen. Right? It's always in the protection of a Cohen. We're three for three here. Three for three with Ryan punching people in defense of a Cohen. Um, he just has to defend Sandy next somehow. <laughs> I don't know who he's going to beat up in defense of Sandy. But anyway. Someone's going to be like, I don't like your eyebrows, sir. But also, he's not very good at fighting Weevil. Like, Weevil is just significantly better than Ryan is in physical combat. 
And so Ryan throws the punch, but Weevil very quickly is on top of him, just savaging him with just raining punches on his face. And eventually they're separated. And Weevil's like, I'm going to kill you. You're a dead man now. Next thing you know is you're going to be dead and I'm going to be standing above you having murdered you. And Kirsten hears this. And what's the next thing we see? Ryan's back at the house. Yep. And Kirsten's like, so I guess he's going to be here until we find his mom. We've got to find his mom. Sandy, we've got to find his mom uh, because she's the only person that he can legally be given to. He's here temporarily again. Meanwhile, Ryan is like, no, thank you. I have been experiencing my mother for the bulk of my life and no, thank you. And everyone is like, it's really interesting to me, this kind of trajectory of this plot, because it talks that we weren't talking about found families and how important they were versus blood families in 2003 i don't think and this kind of starts alluding to that conversation that just because you're related to someone doesn't mean that they're good for you yeah no i agree 100 percent uh obviously the audience me right having never seen this show before desperately want Ryan to be with the Coens. We understand, I think, narratively, that's where the story is going. We just need the beats to convince uh, Kirsten. Really, Kirsten is the only one that's not totally on board with this. And understandably, you know, uh, Ryan burned down her model home. You know, like there's things that she's concerned about. You could say that she's taking a gamble on him. Oh! Oh, I didn't even... Okay. There's layers. <laughs> There's layers to this onion that I did not even... They're not, this. like, really deep layers, but they're layers. Okay, so let's focus on Marissa and her point in the story as we continue this <laughs> brief recap. <laughs> so, uh, Marissa is upset. Steve, I hope you're happy. Yeah, right. This is your doing, buddy. Uh, so, Marissa's upset that Luke is upset with her because Luke still thinks something happened at the model home before he came upon Ryan and beat him up and nearly killed him and set the house on fire. So, Marissa's like, can we talk? Can we talk? Luke is just avoiding her. Luke is sick of it. Uh, Luke doesn't want to have any because, essentially, he's convinced that she was cheating on him. Um, and to be fair, she super wanted to, uh, you know, she, in my opinion, at least the way I'm reading her actions from the end of the model home is she wanted to have a moment with Ryan. She wanted to explore what there could be there because I think somewhere deep down, she does understand that Luke isn't necessarily for her. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Luke, even though he's not the complete heel that I thought he was, and it did show a bit of character growth at the end of episode, uh, two, um, he still has done questionable things. He's largely an accessory in this episode, I think. Yeah, he's there to be kind of like a dramatic foil. I think he's there largely to be... Um, uh, Scuttled back towards after she makes eyes at Ryan. Yes, 100%. Luke represents, I think, narratively here, like arc-wise, going backwards for Marissa, right? Uh-huh. To a place of comfort, um, Julie, even Julie again and again and again in this episode, because Julie, uh, is sort of our gossiping character, right? She's uh-huh. sort of the Greek chorus, uh, that represents kind of the opinions of the other moms in this circle. Right. Right. If that's fair. And, uh, as she's sort of twittering about fluttering from person to person, she is talking shit about Ryan behind his back every single chance she gets. Uh, he's a bad kid, he's a troubled kid, he's a violent kid, it's good that he's in the system, he's going to be taken care of now. Yeah, Obviously, little does she know that he's out, um, but she is really in favor of Marissa getting back with Luke. Luke represents, again, at least in my reading of it, safety, security, but also he represents Marissa getting together with somebody of her own social... Um, class, really, right? Of her own breeding, her own, you know... Marissa's um, or Julie's? Ah, because we do learn, yes, we learn uh, later on that Julie also does not necessarily come from money and married into it when she got together with, what's his name, Leroy? Jacob. (laughs) Jimmy. I knew it had letters in it. Um, Um, I do, I have in my notes, again, that Julie is emerging as one of the most interesting characters for me, Mm -hmm. as, like, kind of, 
in the per- first couple episodes, they were setting her up as this, you know, kind of Twitter-pated foil <laughs> for the Coens. But she's very concerned with status. She's very concerned with the way her daughter looks mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. coming from a place of insecurity. Because she came from a very similar location to Chino. Oh, that's right. That's revealed uh-huh. later. Riverside is where she came from. Neptune. In <laughs> <laughs> the rough streets of Neptune. I mean Riverside. <laughs> yeah. No, you're totally right. I really like, you know, she wants for Marissa what she what she didn't have growing up, right? Yeah. She wants security and comfort, and she sees that in Luke. She sees in Luke the kind of person that Marissa will be very safe and comfortable with. Yep. Which is, I think, a, 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 a pretty generous reading of her of her character. Yep. So, okay. Julie and Kirsten are both on the board of whatever community events thing that uh, organizes these fundraisers. Yep. What are we fundraising for again? The f- I think it's unclear in this episode. The first fundraiser was for the, quote, battered, battered women's shelter. Oh, that's quote. right. But... I don't, uh, we assume it's something as noble and lofty, probably like the yacht restoration project. <laughs> no, I, I'm this not comparing, ships of the line. I'm not comparing a battered women's shelter to a yacht restoration project. Of course I'm are not. Are we still calling them battered women's shelters? I don't think we are. That seems like a thing that we would have rebranded in, in the time since 2003. Domestic violence just needs rebranding. There you go. Domestic, domestic, <laughs> Domestic violence <laughs> shelters. Yes, I think that's what they're called now. Okay. Um, so that is Julie's primary concern. Getting Marissa back with Luke, uh, having everyone forget about this Ryan boy, and really hunkering down and figuring out if we're going to do Monte Carlo night or Las Vegas night or casino night, ladies. We've got to figure this shit out. This stuff isn't going to organize itself. And... Kirsten is having none of this. We're still trying to give little hints that she's above such frivolities, but she participates willingly in the frivolities. Whether I mean, it's got to be just because it's what you do at that income bracket. But it's her own party. It's her own event. It's at her house. And she's like, guys, I got to go. I have a thing. Would you say... That Julie and Kirsten are friends, or do you think that they're just absolutely not? No, okay. no. but they are acquaintances because their kids go to the same school. Yes, right. Their yeah, their kids are they are neighbors. Yeah, so they're just they kind of run in the same social circles, uh-huh. and that's why they keep bumping into each other. Uh-huh. But outside of those circumstances, they would not be close, probably. No. Right? I mean, <laughs> Julie's from Riverside. <laughs> anyway, um, continuing with the recap. So that's what Julie is concerned with. Um, when does it come out that Jimmy... That happens... Early, At the casino night. No, it happens before casino night. Yeah? Um, oh, yeah, because yeah, Julie spends we get set the up. whole time yeah. like stalking back and forth and going, Well, Kirsten, it looks like I owe you 100000 of dollars. Yeah. So at some point, Jimmy finally comes clean. And this was one of my criticisms of Jimmy, why I made him the villain of episode two, is because he takes total credit for taking care, big air quotes, of that problem that he had, which was essentially just asking Kirsten to help him with a, a, la- a loan of $100,000. So he finally tells Julie... He's like, hey, by the way, that thing that you refused to talk about, yeah, we're in actual financial straits here. I needed to go to Kirsten and borrow $100,000, and it's not the first time I've had to do something like that. So Julie is like, oh, my God, the pony has alopecia. Oh, my God, are we going to be poor? And from her perspective, especially when you learn that she's from Riverside, you can see her whole little house of cards sort of tumbling in her head, Uh right? She's like, oh, no, oh, my God. I thought we were rich. It turns out we're not as rich as Kirsten because of no, of course, no one is as rich as Kirsten. I think it is less about the hundred thousand dollars and who they got it from. Yeah. More so because Julie is very obsessed with status, with 
niceties. Well, God, look at the visual language they use for their homes. The Cohen's house is on a hill above Julie's house. That's (laughs) a very good point. You have to go up to get to it. Yeah. You know, and I also think it's just bigger. Like, I'm pretty sure it's just bigger than their house is. So if we're looking at it, you know, if we're giving this show enough credit, you know, to think that they're using this kind of filmic language, that really is, you know, the Coens live in this shining city on a hill, you know, versus what Julie has, even though Julie is still very well off. But anyway, okay, so they're planning the event. Jimmy tells Julie, hey, you're not hot shit. I had to borrow money. And so Julie, for some reason, takes it upon herself when we get to the fundraiser to just stir the pot. Because she has the inclination and the instinct that Kirsten would not have told Sandy, right? Uh-huh. Um, and why would she? Uh, you know, Sandy doesn't necessarily need to be privy to every single financial decision that Kirsten makes with her own money. Because let's also not forget, Sandy's drawing the salary of a public defender, right? Mm-hmm. He's a hobby public defender. <laughs> He's not making the money. Obviously, their lavish lifestyle is due entirely to what Kirsten has got going on. Uh-huh. Right? So she doesn't necessarily feel responsible to tell Sandy about every little thing that she does, especially when that thing is loaning money to who might be an old flame. Which is kind of what we're being hinted at. Jimmy is to her. It is less hinted and more sledgehammered like... <laughs> A Bugs Bunny cartoon with a literal sledgehammer. Like an anvil that says Jimmy and Kirsten dated. <laughs> you guys, I totally fucked. <laughs> so, can we can we jump to the party? Is that basically where we're at? Right? Yeah, I, what, oh, no, that's right. The mom. We have to yeah. get to the mom. I want to spend a lot of time at the party because that's where the bulk yeah, of the but first we have to get to the, the mom. mom. Because is it Kirsten or Sandy who finds the mom? Sandy. Sandy comes mm. upon her at her job at the laundromat. Yes. Right? It is Sandy. But isn't I it? think it's because of a tip from the private detective that Kirsten mm. has hired. That's right. Okay. What is Ryan's mom's name? Ryan's mom. Okay. So Ryan's mom, <laughs> who uh, will remind you, uh, ditched him like a hot rock at the end of episode one. Let her boyfriend beat the shit out of him. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, she's probably struggling with alcohol. Like, this is a, you know, she's a sympathetic character, but from Ryan's vantage, he doesn't necessarily want to have a lot to do with her because, again, she just up and left him. She ghosted him. She did the Irish goodbye. She was like, sorry, I shouldn't have had you. I apologize for you existing. I don't want to have responsibility over you, right? So we get it from Ryan's perspective. So um, Sandy has a one-on-one heart-to-heart with Ryan's mom at the laundromat. Um, she's trying to get cleaned up. She's trying to get her feet under her. Um, she says she's trying to get cleaned up and her feet under her. It's hard, though. You know, I mean, recovery is a real thing. And even though this show doesn't necessarily treat recovery with what I would say a lot of grace, it makes an attempt for a show in 2003. I will get to that. Um, yeah. So, yes. Okay. Uh, back at the Cohen's house. I just want to asterisk here that I have a completely different reading of this woman and this character, but keep going. Okay. And we'll bring our own histories and our own, you know, experiences with recovery and stuff to this. And we could talk more about that. We're going to get deep and real here, people. This is the real fucking OC shit here. It's about moms, you guys. Moms, you guys. Okay. So back at the Cohen house, uh, Ryan gets the one-two punch. Who walks through the door? It's his mom. Uh, She looks nice and cleaned up. Uh, she's being escorted by Kirsten and Sandy, I think, right? Something like that. Yep. She's like, Ryan, I'm back. I'm here for you. He's like, what are you doing here? You abandoned me. She's like, fair play, but I think we can make a go of it. I've got a job. Uh, the the boyfriend is gone. Kicked him to the curb. We can make this work. Uh, Ryan's like, I don't know. Uh, at some point, somebody makes the very awkward suggestion that uh, Ryan's mom stick around for dinner uh, and also stay for the evening, stay the night, and also attend um, gallery, or not gallery night, uh, casino night, right? Which is an excellent thing to do to a recovering alcoholic. <laughs> oh my God, right? My reading on this woman is that she 
it's a deeply ungenerous reading. I want to preface that this by saying that she saw an opportunity in that there were wealthy people interested in her son, but she had no intention of quitting drinking. She had no intention of picking up where she left off with Ryan and trying to like be a mother. There are people who should never be mothers. And when she said in the first episode, was it the first episode? I should not, she didn't literally say it, but she left him. Yeah. She left him. Actions speak louder than words. And she was like, nope. Nope. She noped out of there. <laughs> and, you know, that's a really difficult thing to say. I am not cut out to be a mother. I should not be your mother. And, again, if there, she sees money, she sees an opportunity. So she tries to fucking play it like she's recovered. I can, I can definitely see what you're saying. It's good of you to recognize that it's an ungenerous reading. I mean, you're not totally wrong, because the show, I think, narratively... Again, the show wants Ryan to live with the Coens, right? Mm -hmm. The show recognizes, you know, they're playing fast and loose with legality, but they can't just be like, oh, and then Ryan just lives there. So they need to somehow make some effort to, within the rules of this story and the world these characters live in, give them a final excuse to essentially adopt Ryan, right? So they do need to work with the mom. They need to say, okay, this woman exists. I'm glad they didn't just fucking Bambi her. They didn't just, like, kill her in a train accident or right. something like that. Oh, she's been kidnapped by terrorists. Now oh, she's she, out of the picture. Oh, she alcohol to death. You know, I'm glad they didn't do that. That would have been, you know, just refrigerating her would have been a lot less interesting than what they did. Because they took an opportunity. And I will say this. The woman in the story, you know, in the text... She's been, you know, she's been clean. She's been sober for probably like seven hours, you know, like she hasn't gotten the chip yet, you know, like she's not exactly there. I do think she makes a good faith effort. Um, She lets Kirsten talk her into going to the thing. This is pretty obvious. The character did not want to stick around, right? She did not want to go to this fucking party. She was like, I don't have anything to wear. Kirsten's like, no, no, baby girl, I got you. I got you something to wear. You, this girl did not want to go to this fucking party, but Kirsten essentially drags her. Again, not a great thing to do with a recovering alcoholic. But anyway, uh, they get her all gussied up. Ryan looks good. Uh, Luke is looking good. Marissa's looking good. All the kids are decked out. They're going to the event. Uh, Julie is flittering about putting bugs in people's ear about... Uh, everyone's business. She's hanging everyone's dirty laundry out to dry because she's feeling attacked. She's feeling vulnerable. So I do think Ryan's mom makes an effort not to drink. And you can kind of see they do little things with her hands. She's struggling and having a hard time. Ryan is sticking very close to her hip through the entire event because he wants to believe her, but he also feels like he needs to babysit her a little bit, right? Yep. So at some point she says, so first off, she can count cards. I love that. (laughs) So like they go to fucking casino night, which is a charity. And she just starts taking them for what they're worth, right? She's just like, oh, mama's got this. She starts fucking, she's shooting craps. She's fucking betting on high low. She's got, she's on the fucking baccarat table. She's like, Look, I am. I don't know. <laughs> she is doing fine, right? This she- feels anti-Semitic. <laughs> so she's having a good time. You can see that Ryan wants to talk to Marissa because she's obviously not having a great time with this whole, like, love triangle thing that she got herself into. Marissa's trying to talk to Luke, who will not talk to her. So they're pursuing one another. We're very firmly setting up the love triangle that will extend for an unknown amount of time. Because the other thing um, that I was going to circle back on, things that um, we... the expectations of certain plot lines. You expected the $100,000 plot to extend over several episodes. Yeah, and, and it comes to a conclusion here. Yeah. Like, now. Now. Se- everyone decides to have their little confrontational moments at Casino Night, which I love. Like, Sandy, to this point, has been painted as a very even-headed, level person, right? Uh-huh. Who makes decisions based on the evidence... And he acts at what seems like an appropriate time. Except when Julie comes up to him 
and is like, oh, it was so sweet of Kirsten to give Jimmy $100,000 as a loan. I'm sure you knew about it. That was really sweet of you guys. Okay, I gotta go. And Sandy, a little against character, I'm gonna say, decides to confront Kirsten about it at this event, which is huge for her and seems like a bad play. I don't think it's out of character at all. I think that they have events like this every other week (laughs) and she does not give a fuck about them anymore. And I think that Sandy is just painted as a, the angel of Harlem. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Orange County. Yep. And he, everything he does is in good faith and he just can't help but react Mm -hmm. in the moment like a mensch. Every, everyone is like, yeah, right. Everyone spends the entire casino night trying to pull each other away. You know, I, you know, Sandy's like, uh, Kirsten, I just got to talk to you about something. And Ryan's like, Marissa, I just got to talk to you about something. Marissa's like, Luke, I just got to talk to you about something. Seth, on the other hand, also has a tiny arc here, which we should get to eventually. But yeah. I want to focus on Ryan's mom really fast because that's where we're at. Because that's really the saddest part of this episode. And that's really what I think they did well in this episode is convey that particular kind of heartbreak. They spend this whole episode comparing and contrasting the moms, right? Yes. Julie as a mom, Kirsten as a mom, and Ryan's mom as a a mom are three primary moms. And they're all compared and contrasted really well in this party scene. Just in this scene shows you how they act, how they react, and how they comport themselves in public, right? Yes. So sadly enough, Ryan uh, gets uh, given permission by his mom. She says, you know, baby girl, you don't have to watch over me. Go and chase after Marissa. I know that she means a lot to you. Go, go, go. I'll be fine. That's when she's like, rum and coke, baby. Not on the rocks. Uh, nope. Oh, what is it? Gin fizz or gin soda? Or what's her What's her drink? Her one that Ryan tries to get in episode one or seven two. Seven and seven. Seven and seven, which is a seven up. And uh, what? Um, Seagram's. It's Seagram 7. That drink was last popularized in approximately 1956. (laughs) So, uh, kudos on them for trying to bring it back. (laughs) That's the cool hip drink. I love that that's Ryan's drink that he tries to get. That sounds disgusting, by the way. It's I not know great. nothing about anything, though. It's not good. So she's like, Jaeger bombs! <laughs> and she starts playing craps, uh, and she's just getting wasted her and wasted her and wasted her. Ryan is trying to hunt down Marissa. Marissa finally tells Luke that they didn't do anything. He's got to believe her. Luke starts kind of coming around to Marissa's point of view. Um, Sandy is attempting to confront uh, Kirsten about this whole $100,000 thing, and Seth who was excited to participate because he knew Summer would be there, does have a moment with Summer. Uh, Summer sort of bogarts his time at the entire casino event because apparently he's got magical breath. And while they're playing craps, he blows on her dice and she is winning up and down. And so uh, he's her little good luck charm. But she refuses to learn his name. (laughs) Oh yeah, she's like, Schmendrick, you come over here. She's like, smock, <laughs> get your ass over here. You're not done blowing on these dice. And the first time they She's show- She's like, dice slut, get over here. <laughs> the first time they show him blowing on the dice, it's obviously like a, he definitely has a boner oh, yeah. moment. Oh yeah. And also I'm pretty sure Slide he has- Slide whistles, ladies. Slide yeah. whistles. I'm pretty sure he has a humiliation kink. Yeah. <laughs> because like, no right- even the person who is so socially disaffected as Seth, you would not spend all of your time lusting after a teenage girl who refuses to learn your name. Yeah, she obviously gives fewer than a single shit about him. Uh, this uh, this this whole kind of like side story, this B-plot is a little silly, you know, like... If she didn't like him, she never would have asked for him to blow on those dice in the first place. But whatever. We're using it as an opportunity to reveal to Seth what kind of a person Summer is. Right. right. Does he care? That's another question. Really? This? Okay. In one of our earlier episodes. Oh, yeah. It was episode one. I was like, this fucking show comes out of the box at an 11 swinging for the fences. Right? This show moves with such a pace that I find absolutely fascinating. Because any other show 
that is serialized in this way would have taken some of these story arcs, some of these plot devices, and would have, like I thought they were going to, stretch them out. Like you said, this $100,000 thing, it gets resolved the episode after it's introduced. Like, they're pretty sure their audience has no memory for these things. And they're like, okay, we raised this plot point, get it done. Next episode. We do not have time for these things, you know? <laughs> so episode two, Seth was like, I have a crush on Summer. Episode three, crush destroyed. Summer, done. We are finished with that plot point. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. Are we? Well, I don't know. We'll find out. But it sure seems that way because... Um, well, wait, 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 wait. I don't mean to steal your thunder. Do it, steal but it. Did the seeing Summer in her bra scene happen after the casino night or before? That was before. That was okay. before. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. We are definitely treated to some fan service here of underage girls in their bras. Absolutely. That is a thing. When did this originally air? On the CW? Uh, No, Fox. Fox. Okay. Shock and surprise. Love this for us. So, um, Summer reveals her true colors. Seth, and her bra colors. And her bra colors. Uh, Seth gets a little upset finally at the end where... Uh, Ryan's mom is now sloppy drunk. She is falling all over the place. She's humiliating herself and Ryan. And who should fly in to help? But all the boys, I'm pretty sure, Seth and Luke, yeah. both fly in to help her get up, uh, to kind of get her out of there. Kirsten tries to cover up and, you know, save face. Oh, it's casino night, everyone. What happens at casino night stays at casino night, right? Right. Uh, and they make good their escape. Is that correct? Um, yes. Uh, and then we essentially round up the episode the following day. Um, Kirsten comes upon Ryan's mom leaving in the morning. Um, Ryan's whole family does love to sneak out, don't they? They are sneakers. They like to Irish goodbye. They're a big fan of it. Well, and his last name is... Uh. <laughs> Cooper? No, it's not. Ryland? Cooper. Ryan Ryan. We're not going to spend this much time on this. We Neither of us can remember his Ryan name. Atwood! Ryan O'Leary. Atwood. Ryan Atwood. Oh, can Begora the Atwoods do like leaving in the morning, don't they? I apologize to everyone. So, she's leaving. Kirsten's like, uh, what the fuck? Um, but this is where we have a really great moment between these two moms. Uh, and again, this show is really about, this show's about moms. This episode, at least, is very much about moms. Um, the, the, the triad being Julie, Kirsten, and Ryan's mom. So Ryan's mom is like, look, I'm really not cut out for this, right? You know, I did make a go of it. Uh, I managed not to kill him, you know, in the 16 or 14 or however long years he's supposed to be, right? She's like, you know, I'm going to keep working on myself, but um, he's got you, you know. Uh, everyone in the audience knows that they wanted you to be his mom. You're really the only savvy adult in this whole fucking show at this point. So you may as well take care of him. I cede my rights of ownership over Ryan to you, good lady. Uh, and uh, Kirsten and Sandy are like, oh, we're making a huge mistake, but now we got to follow through with it. Looks like this kid is ours. Uh, and Ryan uh, makes a quip. Uh, towards the end of the episode, following up or kind of echoing something he said earlier. Earlier, uh, he was like, well, I guess I won't unpack. When Kirsten's like, I hate this boy! He's a monster! He's gonna kill our children! Um, so at the end of the episode, when Kirsten and Sandy are like, well, looks like this kid's our kid now. Ryan's like, I guess I'll go unpack. But there's also a line from Sandy to Kirsten, you know you can't take it back this time. Yeah. So this is really Kirsten's decision. It's on Kirsten. Mm -hmm. She is finally on board saying, I would like him to not get stabbed with a plastic <laughs> fork by Weevil <laughs> in juvenile detention. Thank you. Yeah. And also, he doesn't, he obviously doesn't have a parent or guardian in his life besides us who is capable of helping this kid. Right? Us meaning the viewer? Yes. Yes. Wait, Wait. no. Capable... What? Oh, the, yes, no, the, the... Ryan Owens. does it, yeah. Owens, yes. Yeah, obviously Ryan's mom is not up to snuff, so, yeah, Kirsten makes the decision, okay, we're gonna do this. As a 40-year-old, 44-year-old lady who could have children by this point, I have to say, this episode did awaken some weird latent maternal instincts in me. 
I kind of just wanted to feed him a sandwich and tell him he's smart and tell him he's okay. <laughs> right, you can stay in our boathouse. You can stay in our guest room. Um, and, you know, I think the audience at this point, you know, for the last two episodes, the audience has been like, come on, Kirsten, he's not a bad kid. Everyone just wants to beat him up for some reason. And then he accidentally Because he keeps throwing the first punch. <laughs> it's because he's from Chino. And every kid in this stupid part of town has this chip on their shoulder. But that's the roundup. Uh, we're 40 minutes in, and that's essentially, oh my god, it almost took the length of an episode of this stupid show to talk about this stupid show. But there. Um, that one's for you, Steve. We're going to do this every episode now. They won't necessarily be such a huge roundup or a recap. But yeah, that's the gist of what physically happened in episode three of the OC titled... Date night. Gambling night. <laughs> Casino night. The gamble. The gamble. The gamble. Because, ladies and gentlemen, who are we taking a gamble on, ultimately, Each at other. the end of this episode? I no. mean... <laughs> Ryan. Ryan. We're taking a gamble on Ryan. We're, co- we're just crossing our fingers <laughs> and hoping this kid doesn't burn down our real house. <laughs> or get our son pregnant. <laughs> Okay, some extraneous notes. Yeah, Yeah, you've always got great questions, topics for us to go over. Gay panic count. We're now at two. If you recall the scene between Marissa and uh, Summer, where Summer is in her bra before Seth shows up and loses his mind and basically, like, has to have his battery taken out and put back in to reset. <laughs> he um, has, like, the Warner Brothers cartoon eyes and The Ahuga. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very humiliating. You, you hear, like, Seth, the slide whistle. And just see his pants tent. Seth, you are still the worst, but do better. <laughs> do better, Seth. Um... So the gay panic moment is Marissa, no, Summer is like, well, Ryan's been in jail. What if he likes boys now? right. (laughs) She assumes because he's been incarcerated that he could, yeah, he's obviously potentially gay now. They're trying to head off the love triangle at the past by the fact that Ryan could be gay now. Yes, yes. This is by erasure. It is by erasure, and I will not stand for it. (laughs) Um, Rosa having speaking no. lines. <laughs> oh my god, this poor actor who probably got paid shit to play this role. Zero for three episodes. It is so funny. Every single time someone talks to Rosa, oh, Rosa, could you do this? Just a silent sage S- nod. Steve, Rosa is the maid of the house. The live-in maid the of the live-in Coens. The live-in maid of the Coens. And yes, she is Hispanic and... We assume it is for SAG purposes. If she had speaking lines, she would have to be paid like overtime rates or something. <laughs> be paid anything at all. Who yes. knows what this actor actually got paid to be Rosa? Okay, so we are gay panic. Two out of three episodes. We are Rosa not speaking. Three out of three episodes. And as previously mentioned, we are at Ryan throwing a punch on behalf of the Coens. Three, three out, out of three, three episodes. episodes. <laughs> if this is, if this is a trend that does not continue, I will be really upset. <laughs> I want him to punch somebody just out of thin air every single episode. We are going to throw it back for a second because there is something that I forgot to ask you about previously when we were at that point in the episode. What do you think of Marissa being given the explicit invitation to visit Ryan in jail and declining? Who gave her the invite? Was it Seth? That's right. That's the whole reason he showed up at her house to see Summer in her bra was he said, I'm good. I believe he's also breaking his grounding at this point. Um, Does, because he, does he see, does he see Ryan twice in the episode or once? I think just the one. That's right. Sandy sees Ryan in the beginning of the episode, and then Seth brings Kirsten. That's right. And he has the iconic line Sandy does, we gotta stop meeting like this. We've gotta stop. You gotta have a plan. <laughs> Kiddo, you gotta have a plan. <laughs> That's right. So he goes to Marissa's house, ostensibly to invite her to go visit Ryan. Marissa says no. Ooh. Well, Okay. 
if we are reading it from Marissa's point of view. Because she doesn't really give an explanation per se. She's just like mumble, mumble, low rise pants. No. (laughs) Seeing him in prison or jail might be way too much for her. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be too real. It might make her feel guilty, actually, because she knows that he would not have been arrested had she not gone to visit him after Summer's party because Luke would not have been able to follow her there and start trouble. Do you think that she is capable of that level of reflection and connecting those dots? No. No, you're right. The other thing is, if we're looking at actions speaking louder than words... Her actions throughout this entire episode are very Luke-centric. They're she very pursues Luke-centric, Luke the yeah. entire time. Uh, she doesn't necessarily pursue Luke the entire time. I have in my notes that they just, Ryan and Marissa just kind of make googly eyes at each other throughout uh, various points of the casino night. But it's she's very firmly entrenched in Team Luke at the end because they make a big deal out of her grabbing Luke's hand. That's right. They focus on that. They focus on that. I think it's while Ryan's mom is being steadied from her drunk spill. Yeah. Yeah. So she's made her choice at this point. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So in yeah, I think it's very uh, consistent with her character, right? Um she even reiterates to Ryan, I think it's in this episode, uh, when they kind of have a moment together, she says, you were right. You know, we are from two different worlds, right? Mm-hmm. And Ryan speaks to her. What would you say his motivation is? Raw sexual teenage chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> because at the end of season, episode two, he rejects her. Uh-huh. But then he sort of pursues her a little bit. In episode three, do you think it's just to make sure that they're okay and they can still be, like, friends? Or do you think he's going back on his instinct from episode two and he does think that they could be something? I think there's an explicit conversation between him and Seth saying, no, you gotta make this something. That's right. And it's not too late. Seth does show, I won't, no, I wouldn't credit Seth with wisdom. We're not crediting Seth with anything Seth just wants them to get together because it would be awfully convenient for him. He ships them. (laughs) Oh my God, he does. He ships them, doesn't (laughs) he? Also, Seth, oh, Seth just hates Luke because Luke goes out of his way to bully Seth Uh at like every given moment. And call him slurs. Just like, oh my God, well, queer isn't a slur, but yeah, coming out of Luke, it absolutely is. Like, yes, a thousand percent. It's a slur in the context of this time. Yes, in 2003 and coming out of Luke, it's a hundred thousand percent a slur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, it's, it's convenient for Seth to want Marissa and Ryan to get together and Seth hates Luke. And Luke is obviously no fan of Seth Cohen anyway. Conclusion, Seth continues to be the worst. I didn't think we were going to get there, but we're uh, there, everybody. At least, da, 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 da. <laughs> at least he grew a little bit of a spine in this episode. We need like a Seth is the worst uh, sound audio effect, sound yeah. effect emitted <laughs> in post. <laughs> Seth is the worst. <laughs> yeah, at least he manages to put it back in his pants long enough to reject Summer for a brief moment in time to do a decent thing at the end of the episode. Which is... Help up Ryan's drunk mom, I guess. For Steve. Right? Yeah. Help, help up help up Ryan's drunk mom. Say it louder for help, Steve. Help up, help up Ryan's <laughs> drunk mom. This show has... I will give this show credit. For, a sh- for, for most of American television, and I would even hazard to say film, and even a, f- a fair amount of uh, famous artists' discographies... We have daddy issues, right? Uh-huh. Uh, this show, at least episodes one through three, we got mommy issues, everybody. We this is this is representation for the mommy issue demographic. The daddy issues are also there, but we're giving equal time to the mommies. Very equal time. Time's up. <laughs> it's high time we had mommy issues. <laughs> You hear that, Wes, Wes Anderson? <laughs> we have mom issues, too. Okay, episode hero. This is a tough one. Um, uh, like, 
part of me wants to be like really kind of a bad boy and say Julie because in one of my English classes, uh, it was just that the, the protagonist was described to me as not necessarily the good guy, but the person that moves the story along. So like, um, uh, 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 who, um, I can't remember the name of the character in Othello, um, but Othello is not necessarily the protagonist in Othello. Iago? Iago could be considered the protagonist in Othello because his actions are actually the ones that per- that move the story along. For the non-college nerds yeah. among us, for these purposes, hero and villain are identified as the person you, person who watched this television show, <laughs> root for the most versus who you want to kick off a pier. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess it can't be Julie. Like, I would say that Julie is the protagonist of this episode because she is the stimulus that uh, forces a lot of these confrontations, you know, and a lot of these conversations. And actually, without Julie's actions, I would say uh, Ryan wouldn't be adopted by the Coens and Luke uh, wouldn't have his moment with Marissa and neither would Ryan. And, you know, to that extent, Julie is absolutely a force in this story, uh, at least in this episode. She's got a lot more interesting actions than just trying to get money out of Jimmy for their daughter's ponies alopecia. In science, we would call her a catalyst. There, oh, perfect. Yes. Excellent. I love it. She gets shit going. She gets shit bubbling, right? Um, she, she pipates all of our, um, enzymes. She puts the baking soda in the vinegar. She is the volcano. Ooh, and she is a redhead. <laughs> Probably a bottle redhead, but you know, let's not kid ourselves here. Okay, but no, she's not my hero. She's not my hero. Um, episode hero. God. Kirsten. I'm sorry, episode heroes. Kirsten, she's got the largest arc. She's got the largest change of heart. Uh, her actions. Uh, absolutely have the most impact on Ryan as a character. And obviously we, we as an audience desire to have Ryan in this show, right? He's the interesting character. His storyline is at least in my opinion, the main storyline that we will be watching, uh, his impact on these other people's lives, on the lives of these comfortable, uh, rich people in in Orange County. So yeah, I think Kirsten is my, is my hero. How about you? I'm going to say Weevil. <laughs> you bitch! What? What the fuck are you even talking about? We- he stabbed Ryan in the neck with a fork! He just wanted you to demonstrate- Weevil is not your fucking hero. Fine, explain yourself. He just wanted to demonstrate the deteriorating conditions of <laughs> the juvenile hall, oh therefore communicating God. to Kristen that Ryan needed to get out. You fucking liar. <laughs> you fucking liar. <laughs> You're the worst. Duh, it's Kirsten. Okay, good. I was going to say fucking weevil. I thought I was talking, I thought I was being an asshole by saying Julie for a second there, a bigot. You know what I think, Evan? The hero is the penal system. Uh, Actually, really, well, it's the it's the prison industrial complex, Evan, is the hero of this story. No, I actually take this back. Okay, it's not Kirsten. Who do you it's think not- it is? Kirsten is... Am I going to the- have to push you down a flight of stairs? You're not going to push me down anything because then you wouldn't get my health insurance <laughs> anymore. Um, truly, I think the hero is Sandy because we haven't even talked about the scene where he goes and confronts Julie at the coffee shop. And sticks his finger in her muffin. Oh, that's right. And goes, oh, you're talking about me? Well, I will take the blueberry out of your muffin. That's and right. also, you're from Riverside. So, okay. S- Steve. Sandy. <laughs> so, Steve, this is what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Julie is getting coffee at the only coffee shop in this entire fucking county, right? Uh, and she is with other ladies from the board. And she's like... Well, did you hear about what's going on at the Cohen house? It is just the worst. They just have no control. They just took this boy, this animal off the street, and he just burned down their model home. And yada, yada, yada. And Sandy married above his pay grade because Kirsten is a wealthy woman. And Sandy is just this gutter snipe trash who doesn't deserve to be with 
with her. And he just took this rabid, violent animal, this this deadly raccoon off the street. I would put it like, in their home, sleeping with their son. I would like to point out that your recapping of this scene is taking about as long as the initial recapping of the episode entire <laughs> plot. <laughs> and Sandy is, of course, also conveniently getting coffee in the only coffee shop in this entire county. And he hears this and comes up and it's like, ladies, and Julie has a blueberry muffin and what he like sticks his dick in the muffin. And like <laughs> the eye of his cock pulls a blueberry out and he feeds it to his mouth like the trunk of an elephant. And he's like, oh, have a good day. And he walks away and she's like, did he put his fucking cock in my muffin? That's not actually what happened. This was network television. <laughs> Superpower move that he does, though. And the audience is like, yes, bitch! Yes! His eyebrows just snake like the prehensile tail of a marmoset. And they steal her muffin and they feed it into his ears like two clams at the bottom of the ocean. And he's like, excuse me, ladies. And he leaves and she's like, this fucking whore! It is the best. It is a power move. Yes, you're right. Sandy is the hero of the episode. If for only that ep- that fucking scene. Just that scene. Okay. Episode villain. Episode villain. Here we go. Um, I mean, I hate to be so trite, but kind of Seth. I mean, no, I was going to say kind of Ryan's mom. But like, the thing is, I do think she made a good play. Uh, a, A of all, she did not ask to be brought back into this. She was fa- she was fucking private detectived in her fucking place of work where things are obviously not going super well. She's trying to make a life. She's ditched this guy that was abusive. She kicked him to the curb. She's trying to get her shit together and just find herself. She's trying to center herself. And this fucking rich bitch comes out of nowhere and was like, hey, we fucking hired a private detective to manhunt you like fucking dog. The What's bounty hunter, up? Right. Oh, sorry. Am I? She's, oh yeah, remember she's trying to take care of like five customers at once, Uh and Sandy's like, could you talk to me? And she's like, I'm kind of at work here, Um, and he's like, no, you should talk to me. So she like has to take her fucking break for the day. Like the classism of this thing is fucking apparent, but anyway... She didn't ask for any of this. So actually, no, I don't even think I can make her the villain because she didn't want any of this. Probably she didn't have access to ready birth control or safe legal abortions at the time that fucking she was pregnant with Ryan. So she probably didn't even have an option to live the life that she wanted to live before being saddled with this kid when she's an obviously a demographic wealth wise that cannot afford to live in this part of the country and have this child. She obviously had to resort to to kind of falling back on um, dating a string of bad guys just so she could have some modicum of financial stability. No, I'm totally not going to throw the burden on her. I think Seth is the villain of this episode. I'm sorry. Uh, Seth is the villain of this episode. Uh, He snuck into the girl's room when they were changing and he was like, you should French each other in your bras. Um, You know, I mean, like he has some good aspects in this episode. He's like, Kirsten, you need to look at the brutality of the prison industrial complex. See just how in danger Ryan actually is of being murdered in his sleep. Um, but yeah, no, Seth Cohen, uh, remains the villain. That's, uh, that's my, that's my take. All right. Okay. Actually walking back a little bit, Julie is the villain of this episode. Like again, I was going to say she's the protagonist, right? Because she moves the story along, but for people that you want to push off a pier, I think that she is an absolute cunt. I'm afraid that I would <laughs> punch her in the face because she is stirring all that shit and again, it was a superpower move for uh, Sandy to come up and just pull down his pants and turn around and squirt a hot, stinky dewy directly on top of her fucking blueberry muffin and say, ladies, and then walk away. And then she's like, did he just lay out a frothy, steaming, fucking soft serve? Steak on my fucking muffin. And the other lady's like, Julie, that is exactly what happened. So I'm walking it back again. It's not Ryan's mom. It's not fucking Seth Cohen. Julie is my villain of the episode. Oh, what about you, Sarah? 
Seth Cohen is always my villain <laughs> in the background, but he's like the low-level villain. Yeah, of every episode. Mine is actually Julie, but reasons that have nothing to do with yours. Okay, ready? Explain. Explain, Casey. If we play, there is a dynamic between Julie and Marissa that I very identify with with moms and daughters like you would just be presentable if you put on a nice shirt Mm -hmm. and went down and helped with the cassette up of the casino night which we're having for some reason (laughs) she she's and i understand why she's doing it why she wants to be uh, she wants to elevate her daughter above the station she's at in life but it doesn't mean that she can't just stop if that makes sense do we see her doing similar things to her youngest daughter or is her her focus more so right on marissa because marissa's sort of of that cotillion age at this point in time we cannot say either way at this point in time the other daughter was in this episode zero scenes and also is just a punchline with the alopecia and the pony. Yeah, yeah. No, you know what? I hadn't considered that specific aspect of your take on this. Yeah, like, and again, it's about moms. Julie, if I'm if I'm reading what you're what you're saying correctly, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, Julie sort of wants to sort of live a little bit vicariously through her daughter. Right? Which and definitely, make her daughter in her own image. Which absolutely does not fuck daughters up ever. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Yeah, Julie. Julie is our shared villainess for different reasons. I like it. Hell yeah. I like it. Shared villainess. Shared villainess. We need like a... Okay, let's high five near the microphone. One, two, three. Oh, good. High five. That worked better than I thought it was gonna. We did it. <laughs> All right. I think we've covered everything. MVP. 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 Right? <gasps> That's next, correct? Did we? We haven't done MVP. We haven't done MVP. That's why I'm saying MVP. Oh, shit. Um, Go ahead. Oh, See, okay, I've given it to Ryan, I think, every episode so far. Uh-huh. Right? I don't think I can do that this episode. I mean, just because the show really wants you to give it to Ryan doesn't mean you don't have to. I think I'm going to be... I'm going to I'm going to look at it from another angle. Um every episode Sandy has wanted to do something to help this kid, right? Um it does beg the question why he hasn't gone above and beyond to help all of the kids in his care. Maybe it's because those kids weren't white, but I don't know. It, it begs the question. And with doughy dreamy eyes. How come Weevil didn't get to stay at his house? You know, I'm just saying. Uh, anyway, um, did he, did he not wear enough leather chokers? Is that all it takes, Sandy? Anyway, uh, didn't wear enough tank tops, so... He didn't know enough about the stock market. <laughs> and social security. He quizzes all of his clients on social security. Ryan does actually show moments of real intelligence in this show, right? Like, he surprises people in casual conversation with the amount of things that he knows about. And it happens somewhat regularly. So anyway, um, maybe this is one of the reasons we're led to believe that Ryan is worth it. You know, the effort that they're putting in is going to pay dividends. You know, he's going to be a good person. Um, But I think MVP I'll give to Sandy. Um, He spends a lot of time uh, trying to find secure, safe housing for Ryan. Sticks his dick in a blueberry muffin. He has that boss fucking moment where he just reaches into his pants, pulls out a single, long, black, curly pubic hair. None of this happens. It's got that thing where you hear that, like, where he pulls it out of the skin. It is just dangling, like... The fucking Sword of Damocles, as he just places it perfectly on top of Julie's muffin, like a perfect little maraschino cherry. And he goes, ladies? (laughs) And she goes, did that just fucking happen? And the other lady's like, uh, Julie, that just fucking happened. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, for me, uh, 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 
uh, Sandy Cohen, absolute MVP of this episode. You know I'm the MVP of this episode. Did I tell you about this baller-ass thing that I did to Julie earlier in the day? I'll tell you about it over drinks. Has anyone communicated to you that I am the MVP of this episode? <laughs> it me, Sandy Cohen. Sandy Cohen. Bam, bam, bam. Sandrew, middle name, Cohen. <laughs> Sandrew. <laughs> Sandrew Andrew Cohen is his full name. <laughs> okay, Sarah, uh, who is your episode MVP? I promise you I am not trolling with this answer. <laughs> you say fucking weevil, so help me. It's Ryan. Okay, no, I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't think that's trolling. Ryan, it takes some people years to recognize that they have a toxic relationship with a member of their family that they would rather not have in their life. And Ryan has recognized this. Ryan communicates this very clearly, very level-headedly. Do bitches listen to him? No. Nope. No, they do not. Bitches not be listening to Ryan. Bitches not listen. Listen to Ryan. That is my MVP. Bitches should listen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out... Uh, Steven Sondheim, yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> he was a real one. Four went out. Sondheim, come on the pod. <laughs> Ghost of Steven Sondheim, come on the pod. <laughs> no, you're totally right. Yeah. And I really like the sort of bookends, which you said at the very beginning of the episode, which was, this is about found family. Yeah. Right? It's about making the family for yourself that you see in the world as being sort of uh, foundational and uh, restorative and, um, you know, plant yourself in the soil that will... Uh, that will nutrient, nutrient, nurture, nurture that will nourish, nourish you, right? Yeah. And give your, give your roots the chance to gird your roots, gird, gird your loins. <laughs> Listen, we are at an age, you and I, where we're like, oh, the teenagers, they listen to Post Malone <laughs> and Lil Yachty and whatever. <laughs> And we don't give teenagers credit enough for the, the things that they know and the things that they realize and the, the decisions that they make. And sometimes you got to give a 24-year-old playing a teen. <laughs> I was going to say, even though the, sometimes you got to give it to the 36-year-old man written by 50-year-old men. <laughs> give it up. Give it up for him. Uh, that's that's what I got to say. California, Sarah? California, Evan. You just listened to Orange You Glad We Watched the OC. Recorded in Guest Bedroom Studios. Hosted by Sarah and Evan. Original concept and questions by Sarah. Recorded by Evan. Edited by Evan. Uploaded by Sarah. Please give us as many stars as the platform you're listening to this on will allow you to give us. Copyright 2022.